0: Saying low, Apple Music. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Zane. And in this conversation right here, there's not really much I can say um, that Marcus Mumford doesn't say himself about his brand new self-titled new album, a deeply personal record. Really, ultimately, it was an honor to be a part of a conversation like this with someone who was as honest and transparent and upfront about what we've heard on his self-titled new album, going deeper into the subject matter, but in a way that just feels very much about acceptance and ultimately letting go. Hopefully, you'll get a lot out of this conversation from one of the great songwriters and musicians of our time. Marcus Mumford right here on The series you have headphones if you need them but you don't really do headphones do you do you not like the sound of your own voice or something i'm good <laughs> i'm good i'm good i'm good that's the most british response to anything that you don't want to do i'm good i'm good <laughs> I'm, mate. I'm all right no i'm all no, right i'm all right I'm all right, I'm all right i'm all right don't worry You're about right? it i'm yeah, all right i'm all right People now who are fans of yours will be reading things and and getting to, coming to terms with the subject matter to some degree on this album, mm-hmm. um, and and it and it will establish an expectation in some way shape or form, which probably was the point partly, but also I kind of want to say something personally, mm. if that's all right, please. This is a beautiful and thoroughly enjoyable, wonderful album. Thanks, man. And I just don't want people to think like. I need to be in a certain mood mm. to listen to this record. I need to prepare myself to, in some way mm-hmm. because I think that you've done all the preparation mm-hmm. and what we get is is the process done and the thoughts complete. And it's beautiful,
1: man. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. And I think it was important to start at the beginning of the story of making this record for me. So the first song I wrote was a song called Cannibal and that felt like the first song that had to go On the track listing, first song to come out as well, very brave, very courageous. Followed by closely by Grace, which is you know the answer to it in my view. And songwriting wise, it was the second song I wrote for the record, so pretty much going in chronological order. But what what people hadn't heard yet is where it gets to, which really it's a it's a record about freedom and it's a record about healing. But I think, you know, certainly in my story it's important to face up to some of the gnarlier stuff first in order to get to that place of freedom and healing and and in the way this we have we've rolled out this record you know it's it starts with some of the hardest stuff so if people can get through that it's worth the wait i think because we do get to a place where it's fun
0: what do we want from our art and from our artists if not the truth be it brutal or otherwise and i feel like um Many artists have gone before you who have f- faced up to something difficult and challenging to acknowledge through their art. Very few of them choose to actually do it in a chronological order way. And so my question is why, when it could have been an important moment on the album, song four, it could, it would still have been a talking point and something you could have aired out and processed in real time, but why do it that way? Because it just
1: felt right. It felt like I would be um, continuing falling into the temptation of denial and um and sort of hiding a little bit which has been part of the problem for me historically in my life whereas i feel like i don't have anything to hide and so the story of the record started with that song um and so it was important to me for it to feel like it had integrity in the way it rolled out and the track listing and it'll put some people off but I'm cool no, no no no, no, no <laughs> not, not, not the real
0: ones you know um, but the, th- one, the thing that really struck me that was the that was the saddest thing I'm not going to create a hierarchy of emotions and sadness <laughs> one of the saddest what's the saddest thing on the <laughs> really yeah. that was the saddest thing <laughs> the kick drum slightly loud yeah, that was right, the saddest yeah, thing yeah, right. no um, one of the things that struck me the most about that song and about that, that particular experience was that it wasn't something that had been unlocked through work and all of a sudden you had to acknowledge and embrace it after the fact. It sounds to me like it had been with you your whole life. Mm-hmm. You just never talked about it. Mm-hmm. And that is a whole other experience. A lot of people are suffering from significant trauma which is buried somewhere deep and it requires a lot of work, hypnotherapy and whatever to unlock it, right? Mm-hmm. You just sat with it and let it be in you for your
1: whole life up to that point. I mean, uh, uh, what I'm learning now is that it's super common to suppress things really hard to the extent where you don't think they're a problem at all until someone says, like, let's look at that a bit deeper. Yeah, And so that's the point I came to in my life where people around me was like, you got some stuff to look at here. Things aren't quite right. Um, And then the opportunity presented itself and I took it. What I don't love, for me at least, is the idea of bravery around that because it implies that people who don't talk about their trauma are not are not and i don't think it's about that i think it's taking the opportunities when you get them and sometimes those opportunities just aren't presented for a long time Mm -hmm. and so i think you know i would i would i would sort of encourage people to look at things when they can and when the opportunities arise but not judge people for not because i certainly went through a long period of my life where i didn't look at any of that stuff i
0: agree and in my own experience you know it's taken me time to acknowledge and move through things and and i never looked back on myself before that as being someone who was weak so i understand that um i wanted to ask you though if at all in what ways do you feel now that you were even subconsciously doing this to help others. Did it ever cross your mind that your story was going to be helpful to other people?
1: No, it didn't. And it's not a charitable record in that sense. It's uh, an extension of me as an artist. So I'm writing about things that are going on in my life from an incredibly narcissistic point of view, which is the job of the artist. That's I, I, So my artists who can take on other people's stories and write them, I'm I'm not great at that. Like Bob Dylan is great at that. Bono is good at that. Johnny Flynn is the best at that in my view. But I'm not very good at that. So I've got to write about my stuff. And so what I wanted to do on this I started in January with this task ahead of me and I didn't know at that point whether it was going to be for the band or for someone else or for me. I just said I need to reconnect with my songwriting muscles. They've gone into atrophy during Covid. I did a bit of I did a bit of scoring work and I did a bit songwriting, but not enough that my, the songwriting muscles weren't being exercised. So I just went away and said to the lads in the band, look, I'm going to go away and write. I don't know what it's for, but I'm just going to follow the creative and I'm going to set myself the task of writing as honestly as I
0: can. Can I ask where Away was before we continue this thought?
1: Yeah, it was at home in Devon mm-hmm. um, in England, in my little studio to start with. And then because I have a US passport, as long as I did the quarantining the right way, I was able to come to LA. So once I'd started. Writing, I connected with Blake Mills, who I'd written a song with six years previously and we'd toured together and I've been a huge fan of his work for a long time. Both his writing and his playing and his production. And I took him, Cannibal, in its infancy as a song and said, you know, do you want to work on this with me? I don't know what it's for. At the moment, it's not for any particular record. I just want to kind of flesh it out. And we did that, came together quite quick and then we moved straight on to Grace. And that was the second song, Better Off High was the third. Hmm. So we just kept rolling and even up until like November 21, I was refusing to refer to it as a record. It was still a collection of songs. I
0: understand why that is because, you know, and and you have your own reasons, but the way I look at things is when it becomes a record, it becomes something that's on, not only on the record, that's the obvious observation, mm-hmm. but it's
1: also something that puts a framework around it, which can actually make you start to overthink things. Yeah, and you start thinking about release and how people will listen to it. Yeah. So for my process, I just was vehemently opposed to the idea of labeling it until it felt like a thing.
0: Can I ask when you were at home in Devon and you'd written Cannibal, which obviously was one of those things that came out and, and I don't know if it caught you off guard or what how present you were when you were actually writing. Yeah, I don't it. really remember writing right Right, there yeah. you go. Mm-hmm. But you're still sharing a house with Carrie and with your kids mm-hmm. and you're in a family environment at a time when it is enforced family environment. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful thing, except when you're in a space with something like that is coming out. And how you carried yourself in that moment, being a loving husband and a loving father, but knowing that your life had fundamentally Mentally changed. The direction that you were on had fundamentally changed.
1: Well yeah six months earlier I told someone I was sexually abused as a kid which I hadn't told anyone for what would have been 25 years at least and so when it came to sit down to write that was kind of the obvious thing to write about weirdly for me and at that point I had no intention of ever putting it out or anything like that. I have a safe space, a studio space in Devon which I'm blessed with which i could go in shut the curtains and theoretically no one would bother me what i didn't quite realize at the time was that it shares a wall with the room that my parents moved into during covid so my mum could hear music through the wall and and so she kind of she likes one four and five chords with the odd six minor she doesn't love a three major i know the chords she likes she loves four on the floor yeah absolutely loves it so, Cannibal, in theory, if you can't hear the lyrics, it's a perfect song for her. Oh, yeah. It's mostly one, for and like, five. She's like, Marcus is in a great mood. He is writing
0: <laughs> a club a banger. on the floor. This she's new like, Mumford & Sons album is going to be banger that sounds lovely. after Can I- banger <laughs> after banger.
1: Mate, she's getting ready to drop one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of have my headphones on, but I know you did something goofy. Um... <laughs> So she, so she hears it through the wall, and that's Good the thing. only real interruption I have in the process of writing that song. And it was, it was after I finished it, and I, I've been in this place now for six months of kind of working on recovery stuff or healing stuff, and was owning my story. So in yeah. you come, come and hear
0: it. That's yeah. fine. Were you ever concerned about when that day might arrive, or you knew at some point you were going to have to cross that bridge with with your, your mum?
1: Well, no. What was weird is that I thought I thought my mum knew
0: about the abuse thing. Yeah, that's the thing that really struck me when, the, in the one piece I read, which was a great piece in GQ, respect to the writer and to you for going into such a safe space right out the gate, very compelling and very interesting, um, was the, the the way that it was worded at least. And you've just confirmed that was that you just sort of like,
1: oh yeah, it's about the thing. I thought, yeah, and I thought she knew about it because so she listens to Cannibal. She says like a few days later, she can I ask what that song is about. I was like, of course you can. Yeah, yeah, it's about that. What a parental thing. moment. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was convinced that I'd told her so only six months. Ago, I was convinced I told her and I hadn't mm. power of the brains wild. Wild. But, um, so bless her, you know, once she gets through the difficulty of that moment as a mother, um, it's objectively hilarious to tell your mother you were sexually abused in a song. <laughs> like, that is a... That's a punchline. You know, that's just funny. So, bless her. Once you got through it, we did laugh about it.
0: Well, humour is a very, very powerful therapy. And then um, I wrote Grace
1: about you know starting with like
0: how should we proceed without getting too heavy which you know has hints of that humor you talk about it in it which was like we are just now going to get through this here we go and we're going to find our way to do it and i know what you mean i mean it's 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 funny that it's funny but it's it's not something that is like oh i went to the the comedy store and that was the subject and la ha ha it's kind of almost like a humor has to it's a muscle you need in order to process things it's as important as tears
1: Yeah, I agree and it helps put things in perspective a bit and it helps process, you know, because there can be things about it that are really fun. And that, to me, is just objectively quite funny. Uh-huh.
0: And what a great process to be able to, again, strengthen the bond within family, to be able to face it through and get and get through it. One, two, and straight into the rest of the record as we move forward, we start to hear hints of what I felt the new Mumford & Sons album could have been. Mm. You know, it's definitely your journey and your album. It's a self-titled record and it's start to finish great. But it's funny hearing some of the sonic contributions being made and the way I can actually hear a three-piece moving and a different Mumford Mm. & Sons. Has this album been good for you in terms of helping recalibrate post the departure of Wynn?
1: Yeah, it has. And I'm pretty stoked to take some of the stuff I've learned back to the band now, uh, which I will do after this record. Um, Because for me, it kind of blew the doors off this weird structure we have around the band that in any kind of institution after 15 years, it will freshen it up. And that creatively, to me, I think I think going through the motions is the death of creativity. So, and I don't think we have been, but we might have. Um and I'm pretty excited now to go back with this possibility of sound that I've learned more from, you know, working with Blake Mills with Soundwave with these amazing collaborators on this record and more collaborators than I might have on a Mumford and Sons record where we normally keep the writing very much in-house. On this record, I was like, I'll write with whoever's around and down to write, you know, whether it's Tobias Jesso Jr., I want to learn from these people. And a lot of them were LA based because I was here. um You know, Julia Michaels, I spent an afternoon with Julia. Oh, she's the best. And she completely changed the way I view writing lyrics. She's the best. Crazy. We did Prior Warning, which is the third song on the record. And we're sitting there together and we'd done like five hours. And we again, this is a point where I didn't know I was making a solo record, really. I was just kind of just trying out, out writing with people. And I've always been collaborative, but it's always been in the band. Yeah. So fairly exclusive. And this time I was like, well, I was excited to work with women for a start because I've been in a sausage fest and so we're 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 like five and a half hours in we're, we're getting to the point where like do you know what sometimes these things just don't work out and that's fine that's it's really, really nice to meet. Of best. and then she's like let's just try one more thing we sit in the live room she's like what instruments you feel most comfortable on and bizarrely i said the piano i must have been nervous because i said the piano i don't play piano <laughs> But there I am, standing the piano. I can play the white notes, not the bad one. So so I'm playing in C, and then she's like, what do you want to write about? So I'd ri- written it down on a piece. I write everything by hand. So my, I got these lyric books for this record, which yeah. was chock full, and I wrote it all out by hand, the story I wanted to tell. And she's like, okay, just sing that. And I went, well, I can't, because it doesn't rhyme. And she goes, f*** that, just sing it. And sort of held my hand through singing what became almost word for word prior warning. So it was just what was on the page. Putting on my running gear, I knew
0: that this was coming, is the most sort of beautiful example of the magic that Julia Michaels can bring in. She takes something that seems so everyday in people's lives mm. and turns that into the soul of a song. Mm-hmm. Um, people call it conversational, whatever you want to be. It's just a beautiful, fantastical version of reality. Whereas... Most songwriting is sort of almost the reverse. It's like reality turned into fantasy. She's yes. like, I take, I take it the other way. I yeah. find the fantasy in reality, and right? that was really.
1: And um, Blake really responded to the writing of that because it was quite specific, and there wasn't much poetic license. In fact, there's not that much poetic license going on on this record, yeah, which is. Right been a lesson for me as well i'm always like well we have got to turn that thought or that scene or that idea into something a bit more flowery a bit more formal because we're writing a song and actually with songs like only child and prior warning on this record that's just not the case the specificity can really help I think with the setting of the scene. Of well, the this particular song
0: really needed it because you were talking about a subject that, if not dealt with direct, could have easily fallen into that group of uh, Grey. And Grey's great for the art. It's great for me as a fan, great for you as an artist. It gives me something to work with and you something to work with. Yeah, we were
1: uncompromising with Grey on yeah, this record. You it really were. Black or white, 100%. And we would, we would, Blake and I would sit there having gathered little bits of writing here and there. And a lot of the time we were kind of um, like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. And we would, put these songs on the sort of surgical table and say, are these as honest as they could be? And it was like we were dissecting something in a science class together. And we treated the songs really objectively Mm -hmm. and tried to remove emotion from it and say like, who cares who wrote it? Is this honest? And does this line up with the spirit of the record? We're going to be relentlessly honest in the way we write these songs.
0: What you were actually doing instinctively was being the most emotionally raw you could be. Now, you can't carry that into a diligent environment to finish it. Otherwise, you'll just basically cry and turn around and never put it out. I mean, this verse, each word is a cut that I see coming. The shame and guilt becomes overwhelming, and I gotta, I gotta share it, mm. but it's gonna hurt someone I love mm-hmm. because I need their forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So I clench my fists as I'm inflicting them because I realize that I'm a bullying someone. I'm, I'm basically mugging somebody mm-hmm. to make to feel better, and now I'm running out of parts that I can play, which is where I, I then create an identity around this behavior in order to try to justify it because I can't be a hero anymore because this isn't how a hero acts. Mm -hmm. I'm not the dodger because I'm facing it down. I'm not being there. I'm not the artful dodger at school, but yeah. Okay. More specific. Appreciate it. And I'm not the preacher's son, so I can't lean into my faith as Mm -hmm. a reason. It's the most honest example of one of humanity's greatest flaws, which is we hurt the ones we love in
1: order to seek salvation. Mm -hmm. You got it. You got it, man. It's fucking crushing. You got it. That That was the whole point of it.
0: No matter how many times you do it, you ask yourself, why? Why do I need to do this to the person I love the most? And that's mm. why that song moved me so much the first time I heard it. Mm. It's because it's rare that it gets faced down. Mm. That idea of, I'm not mentally wired right, and then now it's your fault. Mm-hmm. Or it's your responsibility.
1: Yeah, and the process of recognizing that is such an important part to unpicking the things that get in the way of healing. You know.
0: Well it's a great foundation for love because what it shows is that it can withstand anything and you mm. can come through the other side if you're willing to do the work and prove that you actually care enough mm-hmm. to acknowledge it. Yeah, I
1: believe that. But it can be painful. <laughs> <laughs> for real. Um, That's why it matters. So yeah, and then getting sonically having something in that song prior warning that was that felt slightly more dangerous, slightly more um, like a dirge, but then Soundwave came in. I remember the moment he put in that drum fill that happens halfway through. I was like, "This is, this is what we want. This is what we need." Soundwave's cool. Soundwave's feel
0: through the whole album is great, and, and 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 those little modern touches, which isn't to say that Blake is in a retroactive space. Mm, He's mm. a total sound beast, but but Soundwave just brings in these things that just just all of a sudden you're sort of you're transported into a slightly wavier version of what you're experiencing. And again,
1: that was just the part of the uh, expression of freedom on this record. Like, yeah, if Soundwave's down, let's go into the studio together and see what happens. I mean, I was looking through the offcuts from this record, of which there are a lot. Because we crafted it so with such attention, there's a lot we didn't use. And some of the Soundwave offcuts dope (laughs) i'm like i really want to do something that i actually texted him was like let's come here let's 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 do another couple days yeah he's creatively he's fascinating to me Yeah, a bit and one of my favorite producers ever let alone right now so
0: there's some amazing people who join you on this record and uh, some amazing people that joined you on the journey but didn't actually end up on the record and Mm -hmm. um again it just comes down to you and blake right ultimately making those calls and saying it's not about it's not about personally owing anybody for their time. Mm-hmm. It's about what's going to serve this album in a really beautiful way. Yeah. To do that, you're going to have to, you got to have a through line. So taking away the subject matter and the chronological mm-hmm. aspects of the writing of this record, how did you come to, to 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 the agreement that Phineas isn't going to, that that's not going to work here versus that?
1: I think it was what songs, I, I, I knew it couldn't be more than 10 songs. I you knew, gave yourself I f- that architecture. Yeah. I felt like, okay, if you're going to make a record in this day and age, yeah. I think it's worth trying to make it as slimline as possible. Um, Because I do want people to hear the whole thing, but you're demanding a lot of people's attention. I think we've made that mistake. I've made that mistake in the past where I've let things get too swollen Mm. and delivered something to the audience that is quite hard to digest. Mm. I mean, it'll take years, you know, (laughs) to digest some of this stuff like Delta But the band was 14 songs. So, and Elton John, who was a real inspiration from the beginning of this process, sat me down early on and was like, you are not allowed to make it more than 10 songs.
0: What was his reasoning for it? For that same reasons?
1: (laughs) Yeah, same reasons, I think. And... And just and it and it brings this intentionality. Like, okay, then every song has really got to fight for its place. We're not going to let any in the door just because we kind of like them or they're sweet to have around. Or yeah, well, I every love that song day with that fight. person. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Every song has to fight for its place, and and so that meant that we edited hard, really hard. Yeah, you did. Who else didn't make it? I mean, there's a sick song with Cass McCombs that we wrote. I love Cas. Yeah, which was amazing. There's a wonderful song that I I would love to resurrect one day with Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend. Yeah, And I think those songs, luckily, I, I remember them and I have little voice note recordings of them yeah. and I'm sure they'll live another life. But for this record, Blake and I, I think knew in our bones what it needed and what it didn't how will you sum up this part of your life do
0: you think in the years to come when you look back on the last year and a half two years of from cannibal to today and Mm. and the shows that you'll do and whatnot how how will you how do you think you put a ribbon on it what will be the overarching filter you'll see this life through
1: i feel free um in in more ways than one for the first time in my life which is which is cool i mean you know um Creatively, I feel really free now. I feel like I can do whatever I wanna do, which is premium. But the freedom
0: as well of knowing that you can move through life and face it all down and you don't have to clench your fists anymore.
1: Yeah, I feel better equipped for that stuff, for sure, which really helps with creativity. But were there times when it was hard not to care what people thought about when
0: Mumford's were at the peak of success in one in the 1.0? We were now in a 2.0. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of it, I don't remember that well. Is that because of the alcohol or the adrenaline yeah, or all the above? both, I think, and being young and it being a whirlwind and a constant party. And I don't have any regrets around that, but I feel more present and connected now because I, I think of the work that I've done and having a bit more patience with stuff and feeling less like i've got to win every room i walk into um so it's not a competitive edge thing that was more like a people pleasing thing people pleasing is so funny right
0: and and again you know we're very similar in that regard and i and it took it took someone to tell me my therapist to tell me you know in trying to please everybody you're actually sort of mugging them you 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 sort of just taking their goodwill and Tr- and sort of translating
1: it and, fe- you know, using it to feed yourself in an area that's totally... Well, and I've found kids reflect this stuff. Like, I'm having long conversations with my daughter about taste. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> there's some things she just doesn't like. We played with Joni Mitchell at Newport. I'm sure I shouldn't it's tell really this story. really
0: hard to f- fall in love with Joni out the gate. And, Brandy will and tell you that. we
1: like playing <laughs> in the car. She goes, I really... Respect, she's six. Ah, I really, the arcad. I really respect her <laughs> I respect for what her. she's done for <laughs> women <laughs> in music. Oh, Lord, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what a flawless answer. So, we're having conversations, and the, the, those taste conversations are so helpful. Like, not everyone has to like everything, you know. And that I think comes as a result of doing more work on codependent stuff. Like, yeah, it's cool if I like something and my wife doesn't. That's cool. That's fine. Well, you know, that was at the core of the band, I felt. Like, you're all
0: quite individual mm. people. Mm. Um, I know you all pretty well. I know you and Ben best. But you're all individuals. And ultimately, that led to the departure of Wynn. Um, I don't really mm-hmm. want to talk about this when you come back as a band. I'd rather do it now for two mm-hmm. minutes um, because it'll just be really old news by then and everyone's gone on with their lives. We haven't spoken about it. Mm-hmm. And um, what's the thing that you think when you go back in the band and it's three of you in a room is going to be glaringly omitted?
1: When I think, inspired a lot of the... songwriting as well as the sound. Like when he... Banjo was so important for the first two Mountain and Sons records. The lead guitar was so important for the third. um So I think we'll miss that for sure. But I think most bands stay together in their original lineups for too long. Chris Martin said the same thing to me in a different he? way. Yeah. He said bands aren't really supposed to last forever. Yeah, and there are anomalies like you two and Coldplay, uh, Coldplay. who learned from you two. And, but even the Stones, you know, bands change, lineups change. I think that's fine. I think when you're stuck in a creative partnership that not everyone feels aligned in and wants to be in, then surely you're doing it for the wrong reasons and avoiding that feels like the thing to do if you want to have integrity in your creativity. So I, I'm kind of stoked about the next phase for the band because it presents itself as a creative opportunity. Like the things we might miss from Winston not being in the band, yeah, are things we can find elsewhere or in within each other. Ways, or, with or within each, each, other. each other. Here yeah. comes Ted, who knew he was Phil Collins. Well, Ted's, Ted's <laughs> the best guitarist in the band by a long way. Well, there you go. I see it as a creative opportunity, honestly, and that's not just like a PR spin. I really do. I feel and and making this record has made me um, appreciate that even more. I love that. Um, and, and
0: by the way, Delta. Oh
1: man, I'm not going to lie to you. It
0: felt like the end of whatever it was. Yeah. It just did at the time. Yeah. And, and I actually thought... a and punctuation mark. I've, and I've never said this to you before. I don't mind telling you this now. I actually got on the plane from New Orleans after we'd had that really nice night with your with baseball buddy, yeah, which yeah. was epic. Yeah. And I actually thought, I don't know if there's going to be another month in the Suns record. I just had this feeling mm. like the guys might call time on this now. Mm.
1: It was good. end to the first chapter, and I have no idea what the next chapter is going to look like. But I know I'm going back into it in a better place than I was when we started or when we did the fourth record, so mm. who knows?
0: You look amazing, by the way. It should Thanks, be acknowledged. <laughs> I mean, we try not to de- put things on the surface too hard, but when you're on a quarantine, come back
1: like you are, holy sh- It was part of the whole deal for me, taking responsibility for stuff. My doctor told me if I wanted to see my kids grow up, I was pre-diabetic, he was like, you gotta sort some stuff out. What'd you so have to sort out? Medical reasons yeah. for me. Yeah. And you know, I was clinically obese, which was damaging my health and shortening my lifespan or the idea of it so it was time to and i think i'd always sort of felt like ex-school and i was the fat kid and that was kind of just who i was and what i was going to be and my doctor was like well no you have more control over that than you think you do it's just gonna take some work and so what did you do how'd you change your life i quit booze and replaced it with ice cream turns out equally net zero yeah exactly
0: (laughs) although although i have to say i've i've known people and myself have quit things and replaced them with things way less fun um the idea of replacing anything that's that's clinically addictive with ice cream
1: is is worth it for a phase yeah and to be honest at that point it was about getting the 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 hooks of booze out of me so that was helpful can i
0: just hyper focus on the granular here for a second and just ask you what ice cream what was it the hog d ben and jerry's oh that's
1: that's brutal um what flavor though but the there's thing food? is i live in devon which is really the ice cream capital of the world and you kept it local so there's some local stuff in devon that's the blow your mind these Americans have no idea about clotted cream ice cream, oh, from which Devon. is fucking fantastic. From South Devon cows. They also, out
0: here, they don't have, which I, I only realized after I moved here. that may have affected my decision. They don't stock the famous Hagen Dazs strawberry cheesecake ice cream. That this seems Waitrose just had this like
1: unlimited fucking Wonka factory full of pralines and cream was my go-to drug of choice. But of course, and I know. This is just my story, right? I'm not into the body shaming thing because I think you know. There's too much judgment around with that stuff. For me, it was just a straight-up health thing, and getting to a place where I could then enjoy ice cream when I wanted to, but wasn't needing it every day. Can you enjoy alcohol when you want to? I think I'll get to the place where I'm. I don't, so I, I'm, I don't do AA and stuff. I stopped before that became a necessity. Um, much as I respect and love that world, and I've seen the effect it has on so many of my friends and it's completely dope yeah um but yeah for me that wasn't that wasn't necessary i sort of think of addictions like faders on your mixing desk Mm -hmm. right like you can pick anything you want to self-medicate some sort of pain in your brain and it can be xbox or it can be the radio or it can be surfing or it could be heroin or it could be ice cream and If any of the faders is too high in the mix, it peaks the whole mix out. And that's basically what you can hear. If you have the snare drum turned all the way up and everything else is at zero, you're just going to hear snare drum in the mix. So you've got to bring that down somehow. So for me, I just needed to address the faders on my mixing desk. I love that analogy. So the Greeks were right when they talked about nothing to excess, right? And know thyself. Those are the two inscriptions at the the Temple of Delphi. And those things feel still true to me. But so I... It's just getting a balance and a control back around stuff because I've got an addictive personality mm-hmm. and um, and feeling like I could choose when to engage with certain things. So booze I may engage with again, but I don't really feel the need to. I really am enjoying myself.
0: What about when you're out socially and stuff like that, and the, and the role that alcohol played
1: for you? How are you going to replace that? It was just a buffer, right? Social buffer, and now I just leave. La it's exit. Wicked. La exit. It's it, so. Dope. I'm really good at it. Say hello to everyone. Say goodbye to no one. I'm so good at it. But yeah, just feeling... And that's part of the whole deal, like feeling... Less, bo- like more focused on what you think you need and less focused on what other people think about you. I love you. it,
0: man. It's growth. It's a beautiful it's freeing, thing. You know. What about the relationships that you've developed over the course of this kind of young adult part of your life, which is wrapped up in success and expectation? And this is one of the things that people have to acknowledge about Marcus, if you don't mind me saying, for camera and for audio, is that um, he's one of the most wonderful, likable human beings you'll ever meet at the first time. And, and I don't mean that in a he's an overly charming... And then... <laughs> no, wait... <laughs> No way, it gets good. Because it's not an overly charming thing. That can be too much for yeah. people like me. But it's just you're very straight up, very and you just you just find ways to introduce interesting people to one another. Um, and it's, you know, I suppose for lack of a better term, it's what people call connector.
1: You're very good at that. Yeah. You're, you're very good at it. It's fun.
0: But but that being said, like you are embarking on a different era of your life. the last two years you get to know yourself. You, you no one had a chance to do that. And now you're about to go out and play shows and live that life and be Marcus in the room again. Mm. And does it, do you feel any kind of social anxiety at the thought of that? Or is it, are you excited about it just from a different perspective?
1: The, the thing I, found, I feel a little anxious about right now, and I'm planning for a bit, is the, the routine that I got to connect with because of COVID in a way I hadn't since high school. I didn't have a sense of home around place since school, since I was 18, because I was out the door and then, and then on the road. And was never in one place longer than a couple months. Do you think you were running in a Including way? Not to sidetrack we, you, but maybe. A little bit. I was working, yeah, mostly. Right. Yeah, right. Um, and so COVID provided the opportunity for sort of stability for me. That was helpful with all this stuff we've been talking about. Yeah. Healing work and taking responsibility for my body and stuff like that. Um, and I'm a little nervous about losing that because I'm about to head out on a 14 week long tour before before pretty much before christmas it's it's straight um i said to my agent you know i'm gonna tour this solo record once so let's just go hard Mm -hmm. and let's go deep Mm -hmm. and he presented me with a nine week theater tour of the united states of america and toronto Canadians are a bit pissed off, I think, and, uh, <laughs> and you're I only was going like, to Toronto. That's quite literal. We are going hard, so I'm excited to play it. And then I'm going to the UK, and it's going to be it's going to be good. But I'm a little bit nervous about losing the stability that I've had. And being in LA, waking up and surfing before work—that's a good day. That's pretty cool. I want to ask you about that because um, you know you're someone who is synonymous
0: with this era of, of songwriting and success that came out of the United Kingdom. Um, looking back on that now, what an incredible time! Oh man, yeah, Florence, you, Laura, right through to people like Jack, Jamie T, mm-hmm. of course Adele, just an amazing group of. She's, um, she's
1: really coming along. She's doing, Adele. She's she'll doing get there in the great. end. She'll get I'm there so in the end.
0: Well, look, she's I mean, really... I, we all knew it was going to take time. She's getting there. Yeah. Um, so you were not, It you, was a
1: wild period of time. It was actually. a wild period of time, mm-hmm. but,
0: but everybody in a way wore the flag, you know, waved a flag, not in an overly patriotic way, but it's like, this is who we are and where we come mm-hmm. from and this is this is Camden, baby. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, you're you able to pick and choose where you go. You spent quarantine at home and now you've chosen to move back to the West Coast of America. What kind of promoted and prompted that idea in your head of wanting to kind of move to a different climate? It's very different to London. Having lived in well, both.
1: it's about having a base. Um, while we're touring and I don't think we'd sort of claim necessarily to be to have moved here properly but um we've got to have a base and that base is easier because this country is so massive it means you have to tour it for a long time and I think we I, mean, I was born here so I don't i I, 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 forgot I don't feel that. that same sense of like I'm selling out to LA there's a sense in which this has always felt <laughs> like a version of home to me as well so i
0: love that the uk still has this grip on all of us including myself that if we ever turn our back on you it you f- can
1: change yeah mate. yeah yeah, yeah exactly um
0: you couldn't handle it huh? couldn't handle the hard stuff
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i remember when kid harpoon when kid harpoon left holloway yeah. everyone was like oh wow london is dead you know if all these guys are now yeah. moving to la if he's gone then the last sort of Bastion of London has gone
0: And things have changed so dramatically as well In the last few years, uh, in particular in these Two kind of like tent poles of the west Um, You've always been someone who's Written um, not only about what's going on Inside of you, particularly on this record But also you're unafraid to look out the window Mm -hmm. Um, Do you get inspired by that artistically at the moment Or are you letting it marinate, or are you letting it sit Because I know you don't like to
1: project your own Opinions on people, but I love the way that you Do it in your own way I don't know. I don't have some huge philosophical bomb to drop on you right now. Um, but it does feel to me like we're coming out of a period of time where we weren't as able to connect with each other and share space in the way I think we're designed to gather in communities. And so I'm excited at the prospect of doing more of that again. And I think we need it for health. Um, You know, and I've been living in the sticks for the last couple of years, but still very much in community. And this idea of placebo community, I just don't think works. And I think we're going to wake up to that soon. And we need real people to engage with and neighbors. To engage with, I love that philosophy and I love the outlook.
0: I was talking to Aaron Desna this morning, and he used a great term, which was, you know, he said sometimes you know I can definitely skew ap- skew apocalyptic, <laughs> and I, and I thought that that not only fit together beautifully as
1: two words, but was actually a good way to describe well. And the Delta, a lot of the, 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 that Delta song is about you know being afraid of people that you can't know. And like engage in, intrinsically, no, like, yeah, we're, we're just separate. Yeah, yeah. And I think most of the time when you meet someone in the flesh, it kind of humanizes them, of course, in a way that makes them. And I'm talking really generally less fear inducing than they might be from in the, placebo the community. way you've yeah. seen them appear in the world, yeah. which is why I think how you appear in the world is important. <laughs> and I do think there's value um, in thinking that through carefully, but, and more important in a way than ever, um, because we judge each other quite quickly on how we appear in the world. So I do think you've got to be intentional about that, but I like the idea that we have a bit more grace for each other, like, that person's not great or they haven't spent as much time thinking about how they appear in the world. So I'll give them a crack in the flesh. And then if they're a real <laughs> they can f- themselves. They can f- off. They can f off. They The idea that you get grace but for it's, like no, it's, a second it's shot. It's really
0: interesting to me because as a band who exists, and therefore an artist who exists on the idea of, of, of bringing community together, the gathering has always been an important part of what's motivated a Mumford's and Sons experience. I wonder if there's been moments when you've wondered, like, let me rephrase this like is there anyone that you feel you can't reach or at least mm. go into trying to reach even if philosophically
1: well i think i'm op- i think i'm an, an optimist right so i wouldn't verge towards the apocalyptic tilt of a because i believe that there's he said skew yeah <laughs> right skew i believe that there's good um yeah in everyone so And it's been really interesting looking a bit more closely at this trauma stuff, particularly and developing a relationship with this guy, Brian Stevenson, who is a is a long story, but he's a public defender, works out of Montgomery, Alabama, wrote this book called Just Mercy that I read and became completely obsessed with his mind. We became friends in a very unlikely way. Mm. And the way he has so he looks after people on death row and lifers without parole and insists that we're better than the worst thing we've ever done and so therefore being defined by and more importantly condemned for the worst thing we've ever done Mm. is not the gracious way in which humanity was built to live and what it says about us when we condemn someone for the worst thing they've ever done or i would add had done to them um that we're not living our best selves so I think the idea of grace to me is a really important one because most of the time behind someone who presents as um, heinous in some way, there is a story there in their life that doesn't ever excuse, but sometimes helps explain and humanize yep. um, where they've where they've got to and the choices they've made. And I think that's true for addicts. I think it's true for people who are condemned of you know, uh, criminal stuff. I think it's probably true for some of the public figures that we love to hate. I think this is a good, a really good way for us to kind of
0: call time on this, which has flown by. Um, But you really exercise that in, in, in process on the last song on the album. It's almost like you're extending a hand to the individual or the circumstances as if to say, I can't do this Unless there's some form of investment on both sides. I cannot do this on my own. I need there to be some closure here on all sides. Hmm. And it's an incredibly powerful moment. Simple question. I know where you were when you wrote Cannibal. This is the last song on the record. Where were you when you wrote this?
1: And what was going on? I was engaged in community is the short answer. I had support. And... It came in the form of um, the people I work with on this record. You know, my wife, which is why the record's dedicated to her. Mm. Um, and then and Blake creating the creative space. Um, and then specifically on that song, Brandy Collar. Because I went for dinner with her and Elton. And they kind of cornered me to ask what was up and what was going on in my life cuz I presented differently to how I had to them in the past and I played them Cannibal and Grace and Only Child and and Brandy put her arm around me and said dude whatever it takes to help support you get this music out I'm going to do. And so I said, "Well, can you come to the studio tomorrow morning? I have got this song I'm wrestling with. I think it's the last song on the record. It mirrors in some way the first song on the record and would you be down? And so it was a Saturday morning. She came in and helped me write. I was actually looking through my lyric book and saw that I could follow the way in which we wrote the song and got there in the end. Her handwriting's in it, which is cool. Um And it was with her. And on this record, honestly, like at various points, I hit a, a cul-de-sac or a T-junction or really a wall. And re- remarkably to me and the way I've worked in the last decade or so, it was a woman who came along and lifted me over that wall. And on that occasion, it was Brandy, but on plenty of others, it was other people, not just sort of artists like Phoebe and Clara and Danielle Ponder, Monica, but but also people behind the scenes that I now work with. And she embodied on that day, the support that I think was completely fundamental and necessary for my process, not just of healing, but also of creating this record. Um, And so really the place I was in when we wrote that song was one of feeling supported and that helped me feel more free to be more curious about the idea of forgiveness. And it's not just forgiveness of, of someone who's done you wrong, but also of self. I think having the capacity to forgive yourself for some of the bad choices you've made or some of the up shit you've done uh is really crucial to healing
0: i keep i keep searching for this answer that never comes because the question is fundamentally bad and like but i've tried a few times you know like how did you feel when you finished this record how did you feel yeah well
1: i mean it was like an 18 month process most of it was based here i did a lot at home to yeah. start with and then i did a lot of it in the studio here with blake who was my my partner in this really um and I kind of held it together and we tussled you know he's a visionary guy so and my problem is I'm such a fan of his work that anything he does mm. i think sounds completely dope
0: you have to develop your own voice in relation to so i to had him. to figure out yeah.
1: like okay well, what makes this my record and not his record <laughs> Wow, it's really and by that point i guess you've,
0: you've given him enough space to work too
1: so you yeah, almost got to walk him back yeah no well it wasn't it was more com- it was just a conversation it was yeah. constant conversation and he was unbelievably gracious with me changing my mind a lot um and being an artist (laughs) and because he had to fulfill both the role of an artist but also a producer which is a kind of really functional role um and we came to the last day of mixing because he and joseph um mixed the record and we came to the last day and i'm leaning over the console at sound city uh, facing them he 's on the computer i 'm leaning over like this, and we 're weirdly the last song we 're mixing is cannibal, and we 're coming into land like I know we 're in the last minute of um of mixing this song, and it 's the last song to mix and I just it just all starts coming out, and I turn into a blubbering mess i 'm like weeping and worried about short circuiting this beautiful desk they 've got, and he comes round from where he stood and walks up behind me and leans his forehead on my back and puts his hands on my shoulders and just waits until I'm done, which is dope. He didn't try and, like, clear it up, and he wasn't uncomfortable. Perfect. You know, he didn't hand over the Perfect a reaction. Tissue. And that felt symbolic to me of the process that I've been through to make this record. Hmm. And um, it was people saying, look, we're not going to do it for you, but we are going to support you. And that is so precious and so valuable to me that it's made me and that's what makes people in general i think feel more free like i'm gonna be here with you i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do it for you but i'll be with you along the way and that's that's community that's fellowship and friendship to me
0: thanks for checking it out make sure you add a rating or a comment right here on the interview series we appreciate you